family, you're finding the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, a flourishing church. A flourishing church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ we have thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit will challenge hearts and lives. God, I pray if there's someone here who's never had that moment, Lord, they, they can't name the place where it was, where they were when you convicted them of their sin, their need for Christ, and they chose to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, we pray that they'll do that today. God, I pray if there's someone here today who will become convicted that they're not serving like these people did, even amidst great hardship uh, that they lived in this day. God, I pray your spirit will challenge them and convict them. They'll leave with a fresh resolve and commitment to serve the Lord every day, to live on mission, to discover their spiritual gift, and to put it to work in the local church. And God, I pray each of us will leave today. Lord, as your children every day, Lord, living in expectation that this could be the day that Jesus Christ comes for his church. And God, we'll live and serve as if it's the last day we'll ever have. God, I pray I'll preach today as this is the last opportunity I'll ever have to preach your word. We just simply ask, God, when we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're calling men and women to do today, boys and girls, Father, we'll respond by faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. It's Acts chapter 17. We haven't got there yet in our studies on Wednesday and Sunday nights going through the book of Acts. Um, but in Acts chapter 17, the Bible details the history of how the local church was founded there in Thessalonica. I'll just read you a few verses out of Acts 17. You can stay where you're at. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Acts 17, Now when they had passed through and Piphilus and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paulus' custom was, went into them, 
and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And so that's how the church was founded there. Paul took the word and he preached it. Uh, and that's what he did everywhere. As he was going about living on mission. We really don't know how long it was that Paul was there in Thessalonica. But it was long enough to help plant a solid foundation for a local church. And this was a church that flourished um, in a city of about 200,000 people. A very uh, wicked, worldly city. Rome occupied the world. And so there was much adversity to hinder their growth and effectiveness. But they didn't let that stop them. This is a church that continued to grow and to flourish in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul looks back at this church and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wants to write them a word of encouragement, but also uh, to help correct some error uh, doctrinally that has been sown into these people's lives. He looks and he sees a local assembly made up of individuals who had three things. Notice this. Number one, they had a solid foundation. They had a solid foundation. We're not talking about, you know, most people, if you talk about the church, you say, what church do you get? Well, people think of a building. But friend, it's not a building. It's a body of believers. I want you to know if lightning had struck this building that we're in last night and burned it to the ground, there'd still be a church here. It's, it's the body of believers. It's not the building. And so this church had a solid spiritual foundation. Look at verse number 3. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. They didn't work for their salvation, but it was the work of faith in their lives. They were, as we saw again in Acts 17, the word was preached, and Paul's going to detail this again, and they responded to it. And by faith, they trusted Jesus to be Lord of their lives. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the apostle Paul reminded the church at Ephesus, uh, that it's not through works, but it's through faith uh, that one comes to salvation. They respond to the Word of God. For if not, they could boast of works that they had that they had done in themselves. You know, it's Christmas time. Look at the Christmas card. That's the little uh, present tag uh, that Paul listed here in verse number one. We've got them laying all over our house right now. There's the word to, and then a colon in a space, and then underneath it is from in a colon. And so here's salvation's gifts present tag. Look at it right here. So look first, we see to you, look down in the latter part of verse number one, and then look over from that two words, you'll see from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the tag on the present. It's to you, and it's from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's in the gift? Grace to you and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. While we were yet sinners, friend, God demonstrated grace toward us, and he sent Christ to die in our place so that we could have peace with God and peace with God that passes all understanding, and it's only known through Jesus Christ. And so it's a gift that they received. And remember, salvation's not about joining the church, being baptized, being on the list, a card, 
transferring your letter. It's all about responding to the gift that God shares with a lost and dying world. And so right there is a little evangelistic tool, friend. didn't cost you a dime this morning. All you had to do was come and, and receive that. You can use that this Christmas. You can be sitting around the tree with your family and ask them if they've ever opened that gift and just show them it's from God and it's to all people. And they responded to that. And so Paul is encouraged, look at verse number 4, because he says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And that word is a word election that is so wrongly mistranslated and used to support a doctrine that says God picked who would be saved and therefore by default picked who could not be saved. And friend, nothing could be further from the truth. The, the choir sang this morning, you know, a word about the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. Friend, it's not good news that only a few people get to be saved. It's good news that God has sent Christ to die for all people that all people might be saved. But make no mistake, friend, God's knowledge is not based just on after-knowledge. Um, I didn't, had no idea that Miss Gail would wear a red sweater this morning, but I know now because I've already seen her, it's, it's after-knowledge. Well, God knew it beforehand. And God knew beforehand, friend, and foreknowledge who would be saved and who would not be saved, who would choose to receive the gospel and who would choose not to receive the gospel. Evangelist D.L. Moody used to say years ago, election is simply uh, defined in this, the, whos that those, the whosoever wills are those whoever will receive Christ, and the non-elect are the whosoever wants. And so God knows who will receive him, and God knows who won't receive him. And so Paul says, I'm so encouraged, brethren, by your choice, your election to receive Jesus Christ. And we know from 1 Timothy 2.4, it's God who would have all men be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, God is not slack uh, concerning uh, the judgment that will come against all people, but he's long-suffering, and he desires that all men repent and be saved. That's God's desire, but yet he knows that all people won't. But still yet, friend, he desires that all people are. And so the solid foundation that these people had was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning, friend. You can't begin to serve God and grow spiritually until you're born again. John 3, 7, you must be born again. And so he begins to detail how this took place in their lives. Look at verse number 5. He said, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it did come in word. They shared. There's a lot of talk, you know, these days and has been in recent years about lifestyle evangelism. People say, well, I don't verbally share the gospel with people. You know, I just live out the gospel in front of them. Well, you need to do that. You know, you really don't have much of a gospel to share if your life doesn't demonstrate the change that the gospel can bring. But I'm so glad, friend, I didn't have parents and Sunday school teachers who just played spiritual charades in front of me their whole life. You know, they just didn't act out the gospel. They verbally told me from God's word what it takes to be saved. And so Paul says, uh, brethren, for our gospel did not come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit illuminated the word that was shared. It convicted their hearts. It drew them. They sought to live out that word before them. Continue to read in verse number 5. He says, For our gospel did not come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, 
as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. He said, we came, and if you'll continue to read later in Acts chapter 17, friend, you'll see the hardship that Paul and his party went through just while they were there sharing the gospel. Because as sure as God had a crowd that he wanted to birth, the devil's got a crowd that's already there that wants to squelch and to stop the work of the gospel in people's lives. And Paul said, you, you know through what we live through and you know how we lived in the midst of it. But even in the midst of all of that, look at verse number six. You became followers of us and of the Lord. Friend, we share this often, but I want to remind you, there's not just four Gospels, there's five. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's the Gospel according to you. It's the one that you live out every day in shoe leather. And the people you're going to seek to lead to Christ, children, grandchildren, neighbors, co-workers, people you reach, friend, they'll read the Gospel according to you before they ever read John 3. It's what they see lived out in your life. Paul says, you became first followers of us. And then they said, we pointed them to Jesus Christ. So God gave us favor by people observing our lives. And the Bible says they received the word. That is, they responded to the gospel. Not what we believe up here at Greenwood. Say, well, you know, I'm Baptist and we believe this. Friend, it doesn't matter what Baptist believe. Everything we believe must be based upon the word of God. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. That's our authority. Well, the Bible says. And he says, so we shared these things, and you received the word even in much affliction. But look what the Bible says, with joy in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in verse number 9, they themselves declare, concern us what manner of entry we had among you, and how you turned to God. He continues to detail, so you turn from all your sins to God, what, what's that word that starts with the R? Repentance. They turned from sin to Christ, and they trusted him to be Lord of their life. Look again at verse number 1. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the solid foundation. Colossians 3 and verse number 3. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. They weren't themselves anymore, friend. They surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and now their life was hidden in Christ who is hidden in God. And it's a sure foundation. It was uh, preached uh, to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 11. Peter began to declare that Jesus Christ, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders of the Jewish faith, but it's become the chief cornerstone of the church. And so these individuals, my friend, were able to flourish as a local body of believers. First off, listen to me, because they had a solid foundation. They'd been born again. And the reason so many people wash in and wash out of church like a piece of seaweed, seaweed on the beach in and out is because they've never been born again. They've tried church. They've tried Bible groups. They've tried this. They've tried that. Friend, listen, stop trying. Receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. And my friend, you'll have a sure foundation of which you can grow and be used by God. But secondly, friend, not only did Paul share with them the plan 
But listen, they received the man. That's the solid foundation. But as he looked at them, not only did they have a solid foundation, but they had a serving body. A serving body. These were people who showed up to church with an apron on. They show up with a bib. They didn't have to say, well, I'm just not getting much. Or, well, I didn't get much. I didn't get as much as I did last week. Well, certainly we come and sit to receive God's Word. My friend, church is not about what you get. The local church is about what you can give. It's about God working through you to accomplish His will in the hearts and lives of lost people and those that are being discipled within the local church. Look at verse number 3. He says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith. That's how you got saved, but continue to read. But also your labor of love. And friend, ministry is work. But it's work that we can love. And it begins with the love of God being poured into our hearts. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul says this, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And my friend, he died for us because he loves us. And we serve the Lord because we love him. And we serve other people because we love them. We don't have to like the things they do. But somehow, because God has poured his love into our hearts, we love people that are unlovable. And I'm thankful, friend, there are people that loved me when I was unlovable and still love me when I am unlovable. That's grace. And so he says, we, we, we call to mind your labor of love. Look, look at verse number 9 again of our text. For, for they themselves declare concerning to us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned turn to God from idols, for what purpose? To serve the living and true God. God saved you to serve. And I realize so many local churches are set up today, friend, just for for spectating. Uh, Even the sanctuaries are set up that way. It's all about spectating. You observe them. We're here for you. No, friend, when you get saved, you're here to serve God in a lost and dying world. That's You're saved to serve. And you never get too old for service. There, there, are, there are bodily things you may not be able to do, but there's so many things you can't do. I thank God we've got a prayer ministry in our, our church where every Sunday during the preached word, there's two people that are back here praying for us. Everybody who's been saved can do that. If you're able to get out of your car and walk into your church, into this church today, you can go back there and pray for 45 minutes. I'm just not sure if I can pray for 45 minutes. Friend, you've got some growing up to do spiritually if you can't pray for 45 minutes. So I just don't think I can... You, don't, you can't stand talking to God for 45 minutes. What are you going to do for all eternity when you get to heaven? Take a vacation from Him? So there's always places to serve. And if there's not, it may be God that's leading you to start a new ministry where other people can come alongside you. Boy, it gets quiet there, doesn't it? Everybody's excited about going to heaven and not going to hell. And we should, But boy, it gets quiet when we start talking about serving within the local church. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven, but the Bible also teaches, friend, there's going to be some tears that God wipes out of our eyes one day. 
It's because, friend, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. As a believer, you will stand alone before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to give an account for what you did in your body as it came to service. How all that's going to look, I don't know. Is God going to sit and is Christ going to show all the things he called you to, the opportunities you had to serve, and to see where you were faithful and non-faithful? I don't know. But I just know, friend, it's not going to be a time of great smiling and rejoicing. But thanks be to God, friend, he will wipe the tears from our eyes and there won't be a remembrance after that. Friend, I can't speak for you, but nobody's ever done for me what Jesus Christ has. When I get to heaven, friend, I don't want to disappoint him. I can't do anything about the years before I really committed my life to Christ, but I can do something about today and henceforward. And so these individuals, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, they chose to be faithful to the Lord and to serve him. They became living examples, the Bible says in, in verses number 9 and verse number 7. They served. They discovered their calling. They lived on mission. Look, look at verse number 7. Not just the apostle Paul. Now it's them. You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia and to all who believe. When Paul spoke about, you know, in discipleship, you know, let me tell you about a local church you need to try to be like. Not adopt their, you know, their little man-made program for growth or this and that, or go look at their church and build yours this way. He said, if you want to look at a Christian you need to be like, look at those believers up at Thessalonica. They're getting the tar kicked out of them every single day, just like we did when we got ran out of town, and they just keep serving. They know their spiritual gift, they're reaching, they're teaching, they're encouraging people. They've become living examples to all people at all times. Look at verse number 8. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. How could that be? This was a church that was sending out missionaries. This was a church that really believed, friend, that, that what God had established in, through Christ in Acts 1-8, that they were to share the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And they did that. How are you reaching your Jerusalem? Are you reaching your neighbors? Are you reaching your family? Are you praying for those in other parts of the county, of the churches? Are you praying for state missionaries? Missionaries in our country that are planting churches in other places? Are you praying for missionaries in other parts of the world? Has God called you to do that? But you're not willing to go because you're not willing to let go of your kingdom here. This was a group of people, friend. They were willing to go and to be used. And the Bible says that the gospel was going through them everywhere. And friend, I'm telling you, that's what we still need today. I know what the news bites are. Everything's going to change if we get a new president. Friend, nothing's going to change spiritually in our country with a new president. The only time, reason something's going to change in our country spiritually is when the church wholly starts living on mission. It's our responsibility to go and to share and to give, to live, to tell, and to bring people to Christ, to be the penetrators in this lost and dying world that God has called us to be, salt and light. So they had a solid foundation, but this was a serving body. These were people who really lived on mission. But third notice, they also had a steadfast expectation. 
a steadfast expectation. Look what the Bible says in verse number 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of, in the sight of our God and Father. Well, what was their steadfast expectation? Verse 10 says, and to wait for his Son from heaven. These were people who served every day while looking over their shoulder to see if Jesus Christ might be coming. Every day these people woke up, they thought, you know, this may be the last day I ever have to live for Jesus Christ. Certainly need to have a plan in life, you know, a short-term plan and a long-term plan. But friend, the Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. And these people believed every day, whether by grave or by air, that is, we're going to rise up in the rapture. This could be the last day that I'll ever have to serve. And that's the way they lived every day. They tried to milk the most out of every single day. Serving during a time of difficulty and persecution. I mean, these people, friend, they had people breaking into services. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were still organized. Jews who didn't want to let go of the Judaic faith. Because really it all comes down to one thing, money. The more people got saved, the less money and support there was for the Judaic faith. But see, with the gospel, we're not concerned about all that, oh, those things. We just want to see people born again and grow in disciples and experience spiritual life and life more abundantly that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so they served in light of Christ's return. They had faith that Jesus Christ was coming again. Look what verse 10 says. His, his resurrection proves that he'll come again. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. He raised him from the dead, not only to demonstrate life, but so, friend, he could come back for us one day. And he's going to come. I realize that truth, the more you hear it, your ears kind of get a little dull to it. Uh, I mean, I've been here seven years, and I know when I say reach, teach, encourage, sometimes it probably just goes in one ear and out the other. You've heard it so many times. You've heard Ephesians 5.18 so many times. He's not resident, but he's, it's true, all the same. And we talk about the return of Christ and the rapture, and I know it probably just, sometimes it just comes in one ear and out the other. Not that you're hateful toward it, it's just he hasn't come. And the devil wants that kind of just come up. Yeah, he's coming. No, friend, this was a church who every day said, this could be the day Jesus comes. And so when he comes, I don't want him to find me backslid. I don't want him to find me apathetic and indifferent. I don't want him to find me with a good case of church hurt. I want him to find me knees and elbows doing exactly what he told me to do until he comes and gets me. Why? Because he deserves that. That's what he did. He was faithful in all things. And on the cross, friend, he didn't say it's finished until it was finished. And my friend, I'm telling you, our work in this world is not finished until we draw our last breath or Christ snatches us up out of this sin-cursed world and takes us to heaven to be with him forever. And these people lived in light of that. They served during a time of difficulty hardship they were encouraged because christ was not in the tomb he was at the right hand of god and they could literally see him every day leaning forward and looking at god saying is it time is it is it time is it time they were ready 
I remember 20 years ago when Melissa and I got married. I worried the guy that was marrying us absolutely to death. He was back there sitting in a little prayer room before you. He's probably praying for Melissa. Lord, why is she marrying this guy? But he was, he was there just looking. By. My daddy was back behind me. And I was pacing. I mean, back. I looked like a caged tiger. I would look through the window of the little door to see who was out there. But listen, friend, I was ready to get my bride. Ready. And friend, listen, Jesus is ready to get his bride. He's just waiting on the music to play and for God to say, go get your children. And this church lived every single day that way. Be honest with yourself this morning and with God. How much more devoted would you be to God each day, friend, if you started each day in light of that? How many things that you're involved in during the day, time you waste that you can't get back, would you use differently and toward the kingdom of God if you lived each day that way? And not only, friend, the expectancy that he's going to come to get us, but that he's going to deliver us from the great tribulation that's going to come after, but tribulation that we're going through now. And so because they knew that Christ was in control and that Christ was coming again, they lived every day without anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most debilitating things, in my estimation, that keep people from being effective in the Lord. Talk to so many Christians who are just, they're just anxious over things that they cannot touch or change whatsoever, but they're going to worry about it to death all the same. The Apostle Paul told the church that, Philippi this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, my friend, a steadfast expectation that Christ could come also reminds us, friend, that he's in control. There's nothing that's going on in your life or in this world right now, friend, that's out of his control. Because he could step forward right now, friend, and silence and cease everything. And one day, friend, he's going to. He's going to come back bodily to this earth. And for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign on this earth, my friend, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. But before that happens, friend, he's coming for his church. And so we should live just like they did in spite of that steadfastness motivated by a longing heart mark this local church. They just patiently served while thinking, you know, this could be the day. And word came back to Paul. Paul's just serving the Lord. Paul says, you talked to anybody from Thessalonica? Boy, I got word the other day. They're doing great. You know, they didn't say, boy, they're building you building. You know, they're running this amount now. They're two service. Y'all see their budget. Wasn't any of those things, friend. He said, man, they are, you all see the spiritual maturity in those people now. They've discovered their spiritual gift. They're sending out missionaries outside the church. Why would they send out missionaries? Because that's the Great Commission. They're being faithful to what God called the local church to do and be. And Paul was just so encouraged by this. He, he got word. But I want to tell you who also saw that. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that our Lord wrote 
seven letters to seven different churches. And I just wanted to pull out from his letter to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 18. Just listen. Even though this was a corrupt church, this is not a positive church, note the spiritual truth is still the same. Don't miss this. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now listen. Verse 19 of Revelation chapter 2 says, I know your works. I know your love and your service, faith and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, this was a church, friend, that you don't want to emulate. This, this was a church that was very corrupt. But notice the spiritual principle, though. Jesus saw the reality of the church. This was a church, according to man, that was blowing and going, to use a term from years ago you don't hear anymore. Well, that church, Thyatira, they've got it going on. But guess what? Jesus saw the real church. He saw the people that made up the church. And friend, listen to me this morning. He sees Greenwood Baptist Church. He knows who we are. He knows why you're here this morning. He knows what your attitude toward ministry is. He knows what your attitude toward the Great Commission is. He knows whether you really do have a heart that's burdened over lostness. He really knows whether you're actively seeking to engage your sphere of influence with the gospel. He knows whether you've really forsaken all to follow Christ and you do it each day. Christ knows whether it's really a reality that you spend a quality time with him each morning through the study of his precious word. He knows whether prayer's a burden or a blessing. The point is the spiritual truth is this, friend. He sees the real you. He sees the real me. He sees your real family. And he sees this church family. And so he saw this church at Thessalonica. And Paul saw it. And what an encouragement it was. The question I asked this morning is this. Is if he looks at my life and your life this morning. Is he encouraged all the same? So some questions we really ought to ask ourselves this morning is this. Have I really ever been saved? Do I have that solid foundation on Jesus Christ? Not just religion. Am I, am I really actively serving? No excuses. But after I really made myself available to God to serve, do I know my spiritual gift? Do I love a lost and dying world enough to tell people to step past all the excuses and really be used by God to sow the gospel into people's hearts and lives? And do I have that kind of expectation every day? Do I really think this could be the day Jesus Christ is coming? Why is that so important? Because, friend, it will shape how you live your day. It will shape how you live your day. It's not a day to waste. It's a day to make the most out of every second to the glory of God. 
This was a church that flourished. Am I an individual that's part of a church that when Christ looks at, he says also is flourishing? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Friend, listen to me. Have you ever responded to God's invitation to receive his gift of salvation? Your name's on it. To, insert your name, from God in Jesus. It's his grace. It's mercy. It's peace. But you must receive him by faith as you turn from all your sin. If you've never done that, won't you do it this morning? Tell him so, just like this in a simple prayer of faith. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Christ died for me. And I trust Jesus today to be Lord of my life. As I turn from all my sin, I surrender and give all of me to Jesus. Oh, save me, Jesus, from my sin. Be Lord of my life. Did you pray that? Did you mean it with all your heart? Just a moment, step out into one of these aisles. Come forward, and I want to encourage you. Just come to where I'm standing and say, I trusted Christ today. I will share what God wants to do next in your life. Are you serving in the life of this local church? There's a place for you to do it. You're going to give an account. You never retire. Do you know your spiritual gift? Are you using it? Away from this church, can you really stand before God and be honest and say, I'm seeking to be a missionary in this world, in this mission field where God has me planted. Could you really look Christ in the face and say that? These people could. Can you? If not, leave today with a fresh commitment. Let this be the most special Christmas you've ever had as you commit before the day even comes to now till the day you die. Give the gift of Jesus to as many people as you possibly can. Father, challenge our church. Speak to us today. Pray for those who may be here, Lord, that are still lost in sin. Oh, they've been religious. They've been a part of churches all their lives, but they've never really been born again and surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ. Oh, God, convict them. Be long-suffering. Draw them. God, I pray they'll choose to turn. Challenge believers today, God, who aren't serving in your will. And I pray, God, they'll spit out the excuses and just simply make themselves available to you. It's not about their ability. It's about their availability as you live through us. And God, I pray every moment of every day we'll be mindful. This could be the day that you come for your church and we'll live, we'll love, we'll serve in light of that truth. God, this is your invitation. We're extending this on your behalf because you have things you want to do in people's lives. I pray it will be accomplished. Your spirit will speak and challenge. It's in Christ's name we ask all these things. Let's reverently stand at our feet. Heads are bowed.